0: All right, I'll just pray, and people can come in as they come in. Uh, Father God, we just thank you for another day of life, but more importantly, another day of life in your Son. Father, we just thank you that we can come together as your people, as your body, to worship you and and, and song and praise and, and the, the hearing of your word. Lord, just prepare our hearts and minds, Lord. We need you to help bring these truths to light, that they would be meaningful, that they would cause change in our lives, Lord. Please, Help us to put off those things that dishonor you and to put on those things that will honor you and bring your name much glory. Uh, Be with us, Lord, as we learn about being a good neighbor, that we would um, live in light of the love that we have on our shoulders from your son. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, okay, so there's handouts on the side if you haven't got one already. Uh, But we are on week three. Of neighboring. So let's do a quick recap, shall we? So uh, first week, Matthew talked about the biblical definition of who is your neighbor, right? And so he specifically dealt with the Jewish distortion of a neighbor in that to them a neighbor was of my kind. And we found that no, that <laughs> your neighbor is not limited to your kind. it includes all people and at times, It can very much include those that you may call an enemy. He also went on to talk about that part of being a good neighbor is for sure foundationally rooted in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it is not limited to only sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That loving people, of course, includes speaking much of Jesus, but it also means because of the love that we now have in Christ, that overflows in our actions to our neighbors as well in the small and big things of life. Um, Week two we talked about why does it matter? Why does it matter to be a good neighbor? So we talked about the common common distortion of we're kind of like black and white people. It's like okay I share the gospel that's all I got to do or I got to do everything for them and sometimes they lose the gospel. So we talked about The reason why it matters is because God has called us as a people, specifically as priests, uh, to declare the excellencies of Jesus Christ. And so this happens with the gospel, this happens in how we love, how we're long-suffering, because in these things we image Jesus. Today we're going to talk about of kind of like practical ways in which we can try to live out being a good neighbor. uh, And 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 so on and so forth. But before we start, I just kinda wanna stress this idea that what I'm sharing with you now is not an exhaustive list. It's not even a list of like, thou shalt do this and thou shalt not do this. Um, The example given in the study is imagine a menu for a restaurant. If you're, the goal of going to a restaurant is to eat food. The menu is very big and you don't have to eat everything on that menu to get satiated. And so the list I'm trying to give you is not, and all will be all, like I said, um, because we are gifted differently, that we're in different seasons, we have different callings, maybe certain longings in our heart. It's okay that you don't do any of these, and it's okay if you don't do all of them. I want you to kind of root in, find the principles in here and examine where God has you so that you can apply what makes sense to where you're at, okay? But it is helpful, I find, to give some practical outworkings of how to be a good neighbor. So I kind of want to talk a little bit about, uh, like I said, Matthew talked about who's your neighbor, um, and ultimately it's anyone who bears the image of God, but I kinda wanna talk about maybe another way we can describe who your neighbor is as well. And so maybe oftentimes we will regulate uh, who our neighbor is in relation to, probably it's more formal definition, which is the idea of like, it's the person that lives in your area, it's the person that lives in your zip code. And I definitely want to include that, but I kinda also want to expand that list because I think there are other areas of life that you can have neighbors or influence in people's lives. So for example, All of us, most of us have work outside the home. For those of us who have work outside the home, uh, the people you work with, your coworkers, are great people that you can consider as your neighbor. Another area that maybe you don't consider is are there establishments that you frequent enough that you get to know the people who work there, right? Maybe you have a favorite restaurant, maybe you go to the same grocery store all the time, and so you begin to see the same faces. Another one that maybe you didn't think about is perhaps you have a hobby and that hobby tends, the people in that hobby meet up for events. And so perhaps the people in those circles as well. Uh, these are all things people I think can be considered neighbors, so don't just regulate to, oh, it's gotta be the person to my right or my left, or if you're in an apartment like me, above you and below you, it can include just these areas where you have influence or there is interaction with people more than just a high and by uh, type of scenario. Um, I kind of actually want to start with also talking about neighbors don't just include the people you share the literal same zip code with in terms of where you live. I think part of our neighboring involves brothers and sisters in Christ. Is it possible that you have a Christian who lives next to you and he kind of satisfies both the neighbor and the Christian side? Yes, but I kind of want to talk a little bit about your Christian neighbors in regards to your local congregation. And so one thing that I've really been thinking about lately is the idea that we are called to be a family, and part of what I think that inco- ent- entails is that we ought to be very close to each other. So we can use the word family, but another word, I, uh, maybe we could say, is that we should be very, have a friendship that's very strong and very deep. However, especially living in a first world country, and in particular living in the height of technology, technological advancement that we have, I think we have a lot of hurdles uh, that prevent us from having deep relationships. And so I kinda wanna address those first because I can tell you, go be a good neighbor, but if you don't deal with these, I think there's three areas, if you don't deal with these things and, and putting them in the right place and being intentional, then you're never gonna have any deep relationships in your life, whether it's Christian, or your neighbor, okay? So this isn't on your notes, I'm sorry, <laughs> but it's only three areas, and and, and so, so basically this area, you could categorize this as like, what are the three hindrances for me to have deep relationships, okay? So the first hindrance, I believe, that we tend to run into is, uh, we could call it the cadence of life. So how often have you said, Or have you heard others say when you invite them to something or you're invited to something and your response is something to the degree of ah but i'm busy right i'll just go ahead and read here when when did we become too busy for friends at a cultural level it's difficult to trace the many factors some of it's because we work from home there's instant messaging social media on-demand delivery, entertainment, all sorts of things, more activities that you can do and you can do with your kids. Um, But at a personal level, the disruption often happens somewhere between when we graduate school and when we have our first child. The adult demands of work and family swiftly swell and crowd out the margin we used to have. The time with friends that used to cost us next to nothing now seem far too expensive. Rather than assuming friendship is simply a casualty of higher callings, what if we assume that friendship was still vital to these higher callings? Because it is, the Bible says, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Of course, if you're married, your spouse is one valuable voice, but he or she can't be the only voice. Whether married or single, we need others from outside the home to sing or shout reality into our hearts and homes. In other words, we need friends. So, um, how? So the idea is, we all know we need to have deep relationships, but oftentimes we believe that we are too busy to actually have those relationships. And I'm not saying, because we're in different seasons, some of you might actually be busy in the sense that there's nothing you can remove off your plate. But I believe that if you examined your life, there are areas that you occupy yourself to be busy that you probably don't have to or you wouldn't do if you more cared about having deeper relationships in your life. So uh, for those of you who just came in, we're talking about neighboring, and one of the things we're talking about is part of being a good neighbor is you eventually have to establish relationships with people. And particularly we're emphasizing Christian relationship, because I believe a good part of being a neighbor is being a good Christian neighbor for your brothers and sisters in the church. And so we're talking about the three areas in which oftentimes we will not we will that will stumble us from having deep relationships in the church. So this one is that we are the too busy, right? So like I said, there's a reality that you can be busy, but I think what happened is when you're not intentional to have deep relationships, then you're not going to set time aside for that, right? I think, like, like I said before, oftentimes, if you think about your friendships as your best friendships are when you were young, a lot of that stuff just kind of happened, can I say it like naturally? right? Like, you know, like you had these friends in the same classes every year, or you had your friend lived across the street. And so what happens is our deep friendships when we were younger were actually often due to logistics that were not really in our control. And then you get older, and now you start making decisions, but you still have the mindset of, oh, well, if, if, if God wants me to have a good friend, it'll just happen. Remember when I was a kid and it just happened? It doesn't work like that. Right? You need to be intentional in how you spend your time so that you can allow open opportunities for deep friendships. So, like I said, examine your life. Are you more busy than you actually have to be? Have you even ever considered the idea of opening time to seek deep friendships? I'm not talking about just from like, there's an, I think all people want relationships. But as Christians, think about all the verses that speak about the one another You cannot do the one another if you don't have relationships. And you can't do them well if all your relationships are shallow. So if most of your friendships are are in in church, you come here, you say hi, you say bye, you do a little five-minute conversation, and that's it. I'm sorry, that's not deep enough. Okay? So that's the first stumbling block, I think, for not being able to have deep friendships. So the cadence of life. Have you put so many things that you are too busy to interact? And this isn't in your notes, I'm sorry. You just have to write it somewhere. The second one is presence, find time and space to share. Technology is not necessarily an enemy of friendship. It can be an unprecedented blessing when employed wisely. Imagine just how much previous generations would have given to be able to talk in real time, even once with a faraway loved one much less actually see them on a screen like we have the ability to do now. The problems emerge when we lean too much on technology, when it becomes a substitute for rather than a supplement to physical presence. Every human needs food, water, shelter, and regular time with other humans. The Apostle Paul used the technology available in his day to communicate with his brothers and sisters in the faith but he knew that writing was no replacement for eye contact. He, he goes to say, "'I long to see you, that I may impart to you "'some spiritual gift to strengthen you, "'that is, that we may be mutually encouraged "'by each other's faith, both yours and mine.'" End quote. He knew that there were graces that ink and paper couldn't carry. There was a whole class of encouragement reserved for living rooms and dining tables. He knew that something critical and intangible happens when two or more are gathered in the name of Jesus in the same space. This doesn't mean friends boycott technology. It does mean we acknowledge the weaknesses and limitations of technology and love one another accordingly. A good place to start in your life might be to audit your current friendships and ask roughly what percentage of your interactions are physical or digital. The results will vary for people with different personalities and different circumstances and stages of life. But for every stage, circumstance, and temperament, there should be some consistent, meaningful presence. It is worth fighting for more regular time to be face-to-face with at least a few good friends. The last stumbling, and this one I think we feel very often, or at least I've been feeling very often, because this is, we've, I don't want to say lost, that sounds like a weird way to put it. Uh, many good friends have left because of this and it's that i think we've lost the sense of permanence one of the greatest advantages of living in america in this time period but one of the greatest dangers is that we are very a very highly mobile people imagine what three generations ago you grew up in the same town that your parents grew up and they grew up because their parents there now you could go wherever you want you can go wherever you want nothing is really stopping you bus car train plane you can move wherever your heart desires and even if you don't have money guess what you take a loan there's very little things that can stop you that stop you from staying now in some ways that's a good thing right if you live in a town that has no future It's a dying town. It's probably a good thing to leave. But the danger happens when, because we're so mobile, we lose this strength or this, the, the importance of having deep relationships. Just think about it for a minute. How many of your friendships in just the last two years have been disrupted by some major life change and the accompanying move that goes with it? How many faces have we seen and we've loved, and just in the matter of the last two years, they're gone because they chose to move? Uh, The author here says we might even be called the goodbye generation because we often see many more friendships ending throughout our life than starting and maintaining. Um, How many people do you know, and this is hopefully convicting to us, how many people do you know in your circles who would forego a better paying, more satisfying job, and a more appealing city for the sake of Christian friendship and community. Building the kind of friendships that really matter and bear fruit today, or bear fruit, requires the kind of sacrifices fewer and fewer people are willing to make. In the early church, and for most of history, this kind of permanence was simply a given. Picking up and moving was too costly. Today, permanence is becoming a discipline and a virtue, we might wonder how many who are uprooting and leaving now will eventually come to realize what they lost and wish they had chosen church and friendship over convenience and job opportunities. This is not to say that some friendships can't survive gaps like that, and that's not even to say that moving is inherently wrong, I just think that when I've heard of moves in this church in recent years, I have never heard in their lips that it was that they really put the weight of I'm losing this particular fellowship with these particular, that's never been the case. I think what often covers that is they say things like this. Ah, but you see, Pastor Rolo looked into a church for me and they have the same doctrine that we do and I can transfer my membership and so I'm okay. But they have lost the particulars They have lost the people involved in that, okay? And so, once again, this is obviously, I am no master over any of you. The Lord is your master. You are held accountable to him. But I just want to hopefully instill into you, yes, there is an importance of stewardship of your money and your time and where you're going to live and everything like that. But do not forget, Christ did not die primarily so you could live in a green-filled city, or that you can live in a place that's less sinful, or that you can live and make more money somewhere. He died for the church so that they would be a body to love one another and to love others, and with that love is how they show the glory of God, okay? So if you're thinking about moving, please, please, please put this very importantly on your reasons of weighing the options, okay? So these three things the cadence of life? Have you filled your schedule so much to the brim with important things, but not the most important things, that you can't do the most important things? You can't be a good neighbor to your physical neighbor if you're not a good neighbor to your Christian neighbor, which is us, right? Uh, What about with, um, sorry, your presence? Have you allowed technology to be used in such a way that there is no more time for the physicality of coming together. And then, lastly, have you, although, like we said, in the past, not moving was just a given because it was too expensive. Now, permanence or staying in one place is now a, a virtue, it's a discipline. You must work at that. It, it won't just happen. So, these are the three things I want you to consider. Like I said, first and foremost, with the Christian brothers but this also affects the neighborhood that you live in. So any questions before I move forward? All right. So now we can get back to where the notes are. So we're on point two here. Um, We can display the glory of God both as we love at the level of the individual and for society. So one thing I want you to think about, and I think this is maybe intuitive, like obviously you need to love the people individually that are your neighbors, but there is a sense that individuals come together and they make a neighborhood. And so there are sometimes that when you love the individuals and you and you see the issues of the, of the people around you, that you're going to have a concern to maybe at more, I don't wanna say corporate's not the word, at social levels, you're also gonna be concerned with them as well. Uh, one area that I think Christians often get a bad rap, some of this I think is uh, ignorance, some of it could be true, I want us to examine our hearts, but it's this idea that when, if you ever talk to some people who aren't Christian, they'll sometimes say things like this about the Christian community, they'll be like, all you guys care about is Jesus and we're over here trying to work on fixing these things and you guys just kinda get all the benefits but you don't do any of the work, right? Now in one sense, we should look at any time that our greatest treasure is Christ and that our hopes are not rooted in anything in this life. So in one sense, it's okay that we can sometimes be seen like that. Because one way that you show that God is your greatest treasure is that you intentionally put your time, resources and energy in areas that a non-believer, someone who doesn't see the Lord, let alone love him, they will never do that. Does that make sense? So there's a place for that kind of, why are you living like this isn't your home? And the answer is, because this isn't my home. <laughs> like, like I'm not staying here, right? So in one sense, that's good. But in another sense, I can think it can be bad, right? In the sense that, and this is where you have to test your own heart. Like, are you like, ah, uh, that's work, and and I just don't want to do that. And then you kind of use your knowledge of the fact that Jesus is everything, and you use that as an excuse to stop yourself from maybe participating in things and serving that you could, but you're just like, I don't want to do it. So uh, the gospel is more important. Uh, that's too much work, right? So we just got to be careful there, right? You should live like a pilgrim. This is not your permanent home, but at the same time, you shouldn't live like how sometimes it's easy for us to criticize maybe like the Amish people, right? Oh, well, they left they left their neighborhoods, and they're just living on their own. That's not loving your neighbor, But just because you live in a zip code with lost people, you can essentially live just like the Amish person because you're not involved in anything in your neighborhood and you just live there to live there, right? So just be cautious on that front. Um, We're gonna go to point three. So just these are like some principles that maybe could be helpful. I I wanna state once again, this is not the 10 commandments. I hope you know that. Uh, I'm just giving you principles to kind of think about Take what is useful. If there are things that are not useful, don't worry about it, okay? Well, if I'm giving you things that are biblical and you're saying don't worry about it, well, that's a problem. So don't, don't do that, okay? So a first good principle is to introduce Jesus early on. In your first interactions with your neighbor, try to get the fact that you're a Christian into the first conversations, I'm not necessarily saying that you have to share the gospel with your neighbor the first time you meet them, though it would be awesome if that ends up happening, of course. We don't want to not do that. Uh, But try to make sure that early in your relationship, it's very clear to them that you are Christian. One way that I practically do this is when you get to know someone, it's very easy towards close to the the weekend, hey, what are you going to do this weekend? Hey, it's Friday. We just got off. What are you going to do? for? What do you have planned for Saturday? What do you plan? And people will, will tell you what they're going to do, and then they're going to ask you what you're going to do. And I say, yeah, Saturday I have to do some chores, and Sunday I'm going to go to church, and, and things like that. Boom. It's out. It's out in the open. You're not like trying to ninja it in, make it weird. They already know. If you live a Christian life, if someone asks you, what are you going to do in your week, eventually you will be able to easily say, I'm going to go to church, whether it's Wednesday nights, or Sunday nights, or you go to D group, these are very easy ways to make it from the get go from the beginning that you are a believer. Um, our, our, our ultimate intention with doing that, in terms of telling them that we're Christian, is not primarily that they would look at us like, oh, they're Christian, so they're good, they're moral. That's, that's not where we ultimately want to go. What we just want to show them is that, because think about it this way, a a Christian and a non-Christian have one foundation the same, is that they both image God. The difference is that one is still dead in their trespasses and sins, although they image God, they do it oftentimes in spite of God, right? They're not honoring God with it. Where the other one, the Christian, is one who has been regenerated, is one who is being sanctified, right? And so one thing that I love about people knowing I'm Christian, is one sense that now you are eyes on you, right? And some people will abuse the fact that you said they're a Christian by always testing you. Uh, For I had a season there were some co-workers with me that they would always be like, they'd watch me, and if I did anything that seemed unchristian-like, they were the first people to tell me, right? (laughs) But in another sense, or in a good sense, I think, is that we as Christians should live differently, and I think one of the best ways that that shows is we live differently when things are hard. And so, for example, at my work, uh, we lost hours, or there was a big mass exodus of people, so now a lot of, like, the weight of the work was on a few people. So we're all under the burden, me included. And everyone's complaining. Ah, I don't want to be here. This is so dumb. ba 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 Hey, Hey, Wally come join us, join us in the complaining, join us in, in talking about how this is, boy, I'm like, you know what, it is really hard, they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, come on, talk better about the boss, come on, we want you to join us, and I'm like, but you know what, it's okay, what do you mean it's okay, it's okay, because God's good, what do you talk about this God stuff again, you're just saying that, you're just, you're just using some like mantras, okay, we'll see, so maybe in my words, they didn't know for certain if I actually believed what I believed, but day after day, week after week, by God's grace, God sustains me because ultimately, who do we work for? Do I work for my boss? Do I work for the government? I work for the Lord. Ultimately, God opens and closes doors, and I know he loves me because he's given me Christ. And so whether I have a little or a lot, I still have. God has taught us, as, as Paul says, to be content with whatever circumstance we're in, and we can actually find joy even though there is much loss in the physical. And so what happens is people will start to ask questions at times. Some people will never ask questions. That's ultimately the case. But I've had people come to me. I just had it the other day. He's like, why do you work so hard and yet this job sucks? <laughs> he's like, and this guy, he's, uh, he's a professing Catholic. He's like, because I'm religious like you are. I just don't know how you do it. I said, I think the difference between you and me is that you either don't know or have forgotten that you ultimately work for Jesus. It says, do you, do you understand the value of what it means to be saved by Jesus, to be loved by Jesus, to know that no matter what happens, whether our lives are short or long, easy or hard, the ultimate conclusion is the same, that we go to be face-to-face with the king, not as those people who were once enemies, but now as friends and sons because of Christ. And he was looking at me. He had no idea what I was talking about. But there was hopefully, and then the gospel got shared a little bit, Um, and hopefully he comes around to understand that but the point is you want people to know you're christian but not just because you say it not because you wear a cross or a shirt and those things i'm not saying are inherently bad but more importantly when push comes to shove are you showing that you trust and love jesus when life happens right remember what jesus says he says you can love people even the gentiles love people that are nice back Of course, you can be happy and, 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 um, and, and serving to others when the coffers are full of money and the health is good, but what happens when those things inevitably are not the way you would like them to be? I think that's where a Christian truly shines, which makes sense, right? Imagine, for example, we're all like candle lights. Maybe in the daytime, you can't really see much of that light, but if you put the candle in a dark, dark room, it seems to illumin- illuminate the whole room. I think a Christian trumpets Christ's goodness in all circumstances, and all things, as the Bible says, but I think very uh, especially so in difficult circumstances, okay? So let them know that you are a Christian as early as you possibly can. You might find people ask questions. At work, I'm constantly like the dictionary for Christianity why do you Christians do this? Why do you Christians do that? And I have to walk through all that stuff. So that speaks to another behalf, another thing that you should be thinking about is I think sometimes um, we are lax with our Christian faith in the sense that um, I know that we're not all meant to be formal teachers. Okay, and that's okay. But don't get it twisted. You're all teachers. Do you understand? When you proclaim Christ, we're all preachers in one sense. When you proclaim Christ, and then you are teaching because people are going to ask the question, why, what, how, right? So you need to make sure that when you intake your scripture, of course, it's first and foremost food for your soul. But it's also you should be so um, driven by the goodness of what you read in scripture, primarily that it speaks about God, that you can't help but want to share it with others and you should have a desire to want to share it well so one thing that i always do is i always spend time looking at websites that have like common questions uh, that people ask about christianity i always try to spend time just going over it reviewing it maybe one a day it doesn't really matter i'm just trying to fill my information so that lord i know you will prepare people to come my way i don't know who and i don't know when but i know you will do it because you will see that all nations will worship your name and so my role is to be ready for when you send the people, right? And part of that being ready is that you cannot just, you don't just say, I love Jesus, but you can explain the reason you love Jesus, and you can explain who Jesus is and the faith is because of the word of God. So one thing to make sure, if you perhaps have been lax in your preparation of the intake of the Bible to give to others, that's an area that you can definitely grow in. Like I said, you can find many websites uh that are are done by faithful brothers and sisters that just have commonly asked questions and answers and start building up your resources. Obviously start where you believe the need makes sense, right? Um, Depending on who you're hanging out with, there are different problems or questions that are coming up, right? So just consider the spheres of influence that you're in and then try to learn those areas um, as much as you can. Uh, Point two is to know their stories, especially if they are people of Of different faiths. You want to know their story in their faiths. This is important if you're going to build friendships that can lead to gospel conversations, to know your neighbor's background and especially their faith background. Was your neighbor raised going to church? What made him or her decide to stop going? What do they believe about God? How did his or her divorce affect their thoughts about religion? Um, So one thing I think we can talking about like getting knowledge and trying to use it for the glory of God. Sometimes we can use the knowledge that we're learning and we can commit a very grave error. And, th- and I think the error is this. All people image God, but all people are still fearfully and uniquely made. And you can remember that they're all image bearers of God and they're fallen through Adam, but you can forget that they are an individual person. Does that make sense? So an example would be we can often learn the apologetic answers to questions, and when someone asks it, we're like, ah, I remember, let me put out on my databank, and you just give them like the, def- the, the, the textbook answer. But let me give you an example. If somebody asked us, uh, what example should I give? Oh, uh, let's say somebody asked you, oh yeah, 10 people, and they ask you, why is stealing wrong? Now you." Technically, you could tell them because God says stealing is wrong and be done with it. You could do that. Maybe there's an effectiveness there, but you could say I will answer that question, but I have one question back just to make sure I understand what's going on. Why are you asking? Once you ask the why, you're possibly going to get ten different reasons why they are asking you why stealing is wrong. Once you now you know their personal investment in the question. Does that make sense? And now you can answer the question actually more at the root of where they're at as opposed to just generally speaking. Does that make sense? So I, I simply say that you need to know the person so that you can answer them to where they're at. I've heard, I've heard it put this way. Uh, there are different weapons of warfare and they all have their strengths and weaknesses, and it depends on the circumstance where one would be advantageous, whereas in another situation, it wouldn't be, right? For example, a missile can destroy a lot in a big space, but if you have a space where there are civilians and friendlies, you don't wanna use the missile. Does that make sense? So there are different circumstances, different places to speak in different ways. Not all the time is a harsh word needed, but there are also times that a soft word is needed, right? but you won't know that if you are looking at your neighbor as just a fallen person, generally speaking. You need to know who they are. You need to know what they believe and why they believe they believe it, okay? And then you are able to address their concerns and issues specifically to that person, okay? Um, Three, live at peace. Um, We could summarize the New Testament teaching On how we should interact with our non-christian neighbors, we could say it this way, hold out the gospel and live in peace. Think of Romans 12. It says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That means that you should be extremely careful when defending your rights against your neighbors. You should be careful for two reasons. First, because when you you became a Christian, you surrendered your rights to Christ. As Christians, we're no longer our own. We were purchased with a price. Second, because enforcing your rights at another's expense can seriously damage their impression of Christ if they know you're a Christian, even if you're in the right. There will be times when love compels us to pursue our legal rights. For example, love of the person who could be the next victim of a crime if the perpetrator is not caught. Love of the person who is oppressing us since they are only incurring judgment on themselves. But recognizing that category, remember, often being a Christian is foregoing things that God has gifted uh, us to be able to have for the sake of others, right? That's the idea of like self-sacrificial love, right? Uh, Christ shows us that he gave up his life for our sake, and we are called, we said that there's no greater love than to give your life for a friend, right? But yet we are also called to, see, that was the standard, right? Even, even, the, even now, if you ask, the greatest way you can love someone is to give up your life for them. And they're like, yeah. And you're like, so would you give your life for a serial killer? No, right? <laughs> I do it for my wife and my children and a good friend, but no one else. But remember, the Christian call is that we love our enemies, and why do we love our enemies? Because we were enemies of God, and he displayed that great act of sacrifice. Not for a good man, <laughs> not for someone who had much potential, and we're just investing in them, and eventually they'll pay back out. But we were enemies of God, okay? So think about that. You don't love bears all things. There are times you give up freedoms for the sake of others. We know that within the Christian circles, but that also includes in uh, our circles of neighbors of non-believers. Four, do good things. Listen to this command found in Proverbs 3. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Sometime it's not in your power to do sometime, do something, but many times it is. <laughs> and when you can do something to help your neighbor, consider Proverbs 3, what we just talked about. I hope that your neighbor views, your neighbors view you both as someone who's serious about their faith in Jesus Christ and serious in your efforts to be kind to them. After all, deedless Christianity is dead Christianity, according to James. And though it's, um, this is a quote he says, um, uh, if the, chur- the church has a fine voice, but no deeds. This can often be, uh, in any particular time of church history, that should not be what's said about us, Right? We should not be like, oh, Jesus is so good. I love Jesus. And then with your hand, you do not show that reality. Treasuring Christ above all things is you make intentional decisions, sometimes adding to to the things you have and sometimes foregoing things because Jesus is worth more. Does that make sense? So what I want you to understand is that means the way you eat food, the way you spend your money, the way you go to work, every single area of your life you should be examining and asking yourself, am I interacting with this thing that God has called me to steward in such a way that when someone looks at me they can say, you don't love that thing. Yes, you have a wife and you love her, but she's not your all in all. You love your children, but they're not your all in all. You, you take care of your money and you have wealth, but it's not your all-in-all. All. Your all-in-all all is Jesus. Now, whether they like it or not is not really the point, but you need to ask yourself, are you making that proclamation? When we say Jesus is Lord, it ought not to stay in just words or a heartfelt feeling. It should manifest in how you make decisions, what you do and what you don't do. We're not talking about we, we need to show that Jesus is important. You need to think this way. I must show Jesus as my all-satisfying treasure, that he is significantly greater than anything else that he has given me. Do not be content with just putting him a little bit above the second thing on your list. That is not Christianity. He is everything to us. All the gifts he gives are only good because they come from him and we do him an injustice, and we are very close to idolatry when we take the gifts from God and we disregard him as the giver, that we take the pleasures that gifts bring and we let them stay there rather than allow us to draw to more and more affection and adoration for the king. That was do good things, right? Uh, Five, give them time. So we talked a little bit about this earlier. Um, So... um, You need time, (laughs) you need time to talk to people, you need time to know their stories, you need time to to do good things with your hands. Time is something that you must open up in your schedule if you are to be a good neighbor. How are you gonna do that? I don't know, your life is your life. You kinda have to think about where you're at, but maybe here are some examples. Um, So uh, more and more I'm convinced that Sunday is a day for the Lord, okay? Now, I'm not going to try to go into, like, legalistic thinking, but what helps me in that way is that, Lord, this is a day in particular to worship and and, and and to praise your name, and if there are things that I can do on those days that make much of you, let me do them. So one thing that you may think, oftentimes we come to church, we we do we stay, maybe some of us stay all the way to prayer. Some of us don't even come to Sunday school. Some of us don't even stay much after the service, which I would say that's a shame because you are missing one of the greatest places to be because to be with God's people is what you were made for. That's what you're going to be doing for eternity. If you're not making time to do it now, that's not good. <laughs> then you don't understand what heaven's about, right? Heaven's about God's people coming together, making much of Christ, and it's glorious, and it's good. And if Sunday is just a clock in, clock out for you, then you've messed up. If Sunday is primarily more about other things you know because think about church is only at at minimum an hour for us if the rest of the day you're spending it on x y and z then you've probably lost sight of the glory that god has given us in the lord's day so one thing that i i think would be a practical use of it is on sunday you know that most of your neighbors are probably not at church because they don't they're not christians right but what are they maybe doing? Maybe they're watching a football game. Maybe they're out doing chores. Sometimes maybe thinking about when you go home. Lord, help me. I'm going to put this one hour time when I come home, and I'm going to intentionally go out. And I'm going to call someone that's a neighbor of mine. I'm going to call a coworker. I'm going to intentionally try to find time to spend time with a person, right? Maybe Sunday's your only day. I know some of us are not off Sunday, so you can't do it Sunday. But think about it that way. I think a lot of success in being a good Christian disciple is that we need to be intentional we often say man i wish i could do this i wish i could do that hey, if i only had well make the time <laughs> it's got to be beyond just a feeling you have to take the thought make it a reality look at your schedule okay well if i want to spend time with my neighbor where can it fit in my schedule what must i give up to do it i think oftentimes we get discouraged because we're like we have these ideals in our head like well if i can't spend four hours a week what's the point Right, we we often stop before we start because we expect a certain level of commitment. But can you, if you could, just say, Lord, I want to put fifteen minutes a week that I intentionally reach out to a neighbor. Fifteen minutes that may not seem like a lot, but one week turns to two, two turns to three, and so on and so forth. So start small, <laughs> right? Don't you don't have to shoot for the stars right away, right? Be realistic, right? But start somewhere. Don't walk out of here and be like, oh, it was cool. Yeah, being a neighbor would be a cool thing. And then you live your life exactly the same way. You're called to proclaim the glory of Christ, whether it be to the believer or the non believer. And one of the ways you do that to non believers in your neighborhood is you must interact with them. Don't keep praying, God, Just if you just dropped them on my doorstep one day, then I would do it. God has given you a voice and feats and to walk around. You can knock on people's door. Like you can do things, okay? Don't take the sovereignty of God and abuse it to excuse your lack of working in his name, okay? Um, invest in margin. This is this idea of having flexibility in your life. When your neighbor asks, or if they ask, if you can provide emergency childcare help one day, that you would be able to say yes. If there is a flood in the neighborhood, that you can help them clear their home. When. You're parking your car. You maybe have 15 minutes to talk to your neighbor. Time is a rare commodity, but like I said, intentionally set flexible times that you can use to serve your neighbor, right? Even if it's at the expense of kind of nice things, right? Um, I, I suspect that some of us would be wise to build more margin of free time into our lives. And some of us may actually need to hear the opposite. Maybe some of you need to run harder. You have to I don't know where you're at, right? Some of us may have too much time and we're just abusing it or or, or using it poorly. Some of us may need to slow down. You're gonna have to examine your life and see where that is. And I would say the simple principle is this: how are you stewarding the time that you have? The God has called you to be a good neighbor. If you don't have that in any of your life, then you need to slow down somewhere. If you have all this time, and you're not a good neighbor even so, then you need to start putting that time to work, okay? Um, Seven, this one's interesting. Receiving their love. I think this is, I hate, I've done this multiple times, I hate this. Whether we realize it or not, we can easily become like the pseudo-Messiah. And what I mean is we're here to serve you. No, 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 you don't serve me. I serve you, right? So what happens is this kind of like relationship with the neighbors is come to me when you need help. Don't worry about me. I'm good, right? But I think there are principles in Scripture that are true for all people, especially true for the believer, but I think it still applies to all image bearers. For example, when the Bible says it's better to serve than to to be served, there's a reality to that that I think even a non-believer experiences. Now, they'll never be like, oh, that's biblical, and I love Jesus because of it, but that's a reality. How many times have you seen people? Uh, you see it, I think you see it on TV when you have, like, these multi-millionaire actors and actresses, and then you see they have so much joy when they're giving their money for causes, and they're serving people, and they're like, I, I, it's so amazing, I feel like I have purpose again. Now, they're stopping too short. Right? because it's ultimately God that they find the purpose, but they're experiencing a reality being an image bearer of God, that it is better to serve than to be served. And so you need to understand that, five minutes, okay. Uh, one of the things to understand is that it's not just helping them, but allowing them to come into your life and serve you if they have the unction to do so, and the ability to do so, okay? So how are you receiving help from your neighbors? If they offer to pay for lunch, do you let them, or do you like no, 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 no? Are you always saying no, right? Um, let's remember when when a, rela- a relationship often grows when there is giving on both sides, right? So you kind of stifle a relationship if you're only allowing the opportunity for you to give, 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 and not giving them an opportunity to reciprocate that, okay? Mm-hmm. Um that's all 7. Okay, so I only have 5 minutes. But <laughs> let's see. Uh the building neighborhood. Um so like I said, um I just kind of want to give some maybe examples we see this uh happening. So h- h- what do we focus on in terms of structural problems in our neighborhood? I think the answer is ultimately found in what's going on in your neighborhood, right? So what just to give some examples of areas I think Christians are doing this around our city is that we have people who are faithful to go to the local abortion clinics, right? That's a, that's a very much an issue that's here, right? We have people that specifically evangelize downtown, right? We have people who serve particularly the homeless in our area. So there are a lot of areas in which you could probably address when it comes to more of like a structural level of your neighborhood, you probably, this one's probably common. It's, it's simple, but I think it's still a good example. You know, have you ever been, maybe you've lived in a neighborhood where you believe there should be a stop sign somewhere and there isn't, and it's always constantly dangerous, like kids are playing there, and so what happens? The neighbors come together, they go to the city council, and they get a stop sign there. That seems relatively simple, but they're coming together for what? The safety of the community, right? So that may be another example as well. So the thing I would just say is, are there areas that you're seeing in your neighborhood that you're like, man, this is an issue. Like, maybe I should be intentionally in trying to serve in this way, okay? Um, The other thing is, and this is because I want to try to prevent disunity. Uh, Like I said, we all have different gifts and talents. We all have different... um, maybe like emphasis in our life in terms of what we believe is worth living for, what's worth sacrificing for. Some of these things are black and white. We live for Christ, amen? Like that's not a question for Christians. But within Christian communities, there are subcategories that are not black and white, meaning there are Christians on both sides. There are some Christians who hold some things a lot higher than other Christians. And I just wanna make sure that we don't have disunity because somebody doesn't have the same level of conviction as you do when that hill is not one that God has called us to die on. Does that make sense? If someone has a strong desire to serve the homeless, amen. But the problem happens when that starts creeping onto, oh, you don't do it, ah, you're a sinner. You're not as good of a Christian as you could be. Okay, so just be careful, because I think we all have I don't want to call it hobby horses because it's not, as, it's not a light thing. We all have our, our longings or our sympathy towards different areas in our neighborhood. Don't let that sympathy, which is good and right and should drive you to encourage others to serve, to drive a wedge between you and a brother or sister because they don't have the same compassion in that area for you. God has made us different on purpose. (laughs) Does that make sense? We're different body parts. If we all had the exact same uh, emphasis in one area, then guess what? All the other areas aren't getting done. Does that make sense? So please, there is the diversity in terms of how we can serve is actually a great blessing. Uh, Don't turn it into something as a a tool to divide. Um, And then ultimately, loving your neighbor and making changes in your neighborhood are good However, remember that your hope is not that you make utopia on earth, but your hope is that Christ has promised to come and refine the earth and the heavens and everything will be right because he's doing it. Does that make sense? We are simply doing it because we know that God has called us to move in this direction. But ultimately, we long for the day where it is completely done not by the hands of men, by the hands of the Lord okay? So there are going to be many times when you serve, and there will be great disappointment. A neighbor, once you have a good relationship, and then more conversation about Christ comes in, and guess what? They start to hate you. And it sucks when you have a relationship that you want to love them and serve them, and now there's a wedge because they don't want to take Christ. And now they've completely destroyed the relationship. Or areas that you've spent years on trying to have change or reform in your neighborhood, and it looks like it's never going to change, right? but don't get caught on that which is just temporary, okay? What drives you to, so William Wilberforce was an advocate, was a great advocate to remove slavery in the slave trade in Britain. And he spent decade after decade after decade fighting against slave trade. And He was often the only person on the whole council who was doing it. And his enemy said of him, there's a sense of, we don't know how to beat him. We tell him no, and he loses, and he gets back up, and he comes with a greater fervor. Why does he do that? How is it that year after year, none of his reforms come through, but he keeps fighting harder and harder and harder? How is he doing that? And the answer is because he knew Christ is king. And if he knew that I'm doing what God calls right, then no one can ultimately stop me. And so I just want you to have that kind of zealousness because you know God is with you. Do what the Bible calls you to do and do it with great zealousness and trust that God will see it through. Whether it's on this side or the next, it will be accomplished. There will be peace. There will be, sin will be removed and God's glory will be revealed in full. So let that not drive you to be like, eh, why not? I don't want to do anything. Rather, let it drive you to run hard, okay? So that'll be it. Uh, So just think about, these different things, um, and if you have any questions, you're free to ask me when we get a moment. Uh, let me just pray. Father, we're just so thankful that you have made us sons and daughters. We were far from you, and there was no, no way that we would ever come close to you, Lord. We hated the light because our deeds were evil. We were spiritually dead, and we found your gifts more precious than you, the giver. But it was through Christ that that you gave us new hearts and new minds and a spirit in your spirit to see that which we once thought was folly, to see that it is the very wisdom of God. So, Father, I just ask that we live in your abounding love, that we would live by sharing this love to others. Firstly, Lord, that we would declare that we would love you. Secondly, that we would love your people. And, and thirdly, Lord, as we're focusing on in this series, that we would love our neighbor, Lord. Please, restore, or maybe for the first time give us a sympathy for our neighbors, Lord. It can be so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day uh, ins and outs, and then we can see that our neighbors have money and food and clothes, but we forget that none of that matters on the day of judgment. Father, please open doors and give us soft hearts to get to know our neighbors, to love them, to serve them with our hands and our resources, Lord, and Lord, please that they would see Christ Lord, please, for those of us who, who are doing that now, res- give us, um, revive us, make us more, encourage us a new, Father. It can be very easy to get discouraged when we lose sight that you're sovereign and ruling and reigning. Sometimes we forget that you are spirit, and just because we don't see changes, we start to discourage. But Lord, all of this, all this world is yours. Nothing is apart from your hand, and everything w- is going to accomplish your will, which is that you will be glorified. So renew our courage, renew our motivations, Lord, that we would continue to, to, to get up every time things get hard and that we would just continue to serve you. We love you and we thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.